that's nice. That looks great. And then I thought to myself, that ain't Washington right now. There you go. <laughs> See, that's a it. ton going on in this town. That's a transition, and it's all yours. Have a good show. <laughs> Thanks, Connor. We'll see you tomorrow. Uh, Catch you then. All right. So today, the crisis at the southern border, front and center here in Washington. So why is the president saying one thing and then the head of the Department of Homeland Security saying another when it comes to the border wall? Today, the White House and President Biden facing questions about new wall construction. This is something that we were required by law and we are complying. This is an administration that does believe in the rule of law. He's been asking Congress to reappropriate the funds. He has been uh, for the past couple of years and Congress refused. And we have to comply by law to get this done. And that's what you're seeing happening right now. Oh, wow. Lots of questions here. Who wants it? Who doesn't? And why the White House says more is now going up. Plus, The expression goes, a house divided against itself cannot stand. So with Kevin McCarthy out as Speaker of the House, who are Republicans looking to now? And now we are hearing that Donald Trump is set to descend on Washington. Plus, what would happen if Taylor Swift ran against Trump? One of the former president's top aides just raised that very question. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. All right, here we go. Thanks for being with us here on The Hill on News Nation once again. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by a great panel. Scott Bolden is the former D.C. Democratic Party chairman and a legal analyst. Kara Frederick is the director of the Tech Policy Center at the Heritage Foundation. She was also a former intelligence analyst for the U.S. Navy Special Warfare Command. Brad Howard is a Democratic strategist and former director of the Blue Dog Coalition. And Bill McGinley, former Trump White House Cabinet Secretary. Hello to you all. Some news here uh, in the last, I don't know, hour or so. Your former boss coming to Washington here on Tuesday, Kara. Uh, we're now hearing that Donald Trump is going to insert himself a, among a big meeting of Republicans. Yeah, uh, should be interesting. But I'm not really looking at Donald Trump himself. I know he's been endorsed for speaker by Troy Nels, uh, to name one person. But I'm really looking at who he himself could endorse. So I think his support of, say, a Steve Scalise or a Jim Jordan, that could make all the difference. But one thing that we at the Heritage Foundation know for sure when it comes to the new speaker, we believe that the new speaker should unite. Republicans, cut spending, secure the border, put families at the center. The person who does that, if it's Donald Trump or not, will be the one that that we... And and we'll get into all of that shortly, but Bill, the the Trump show, you got a a front row seat to it uh, coming back to Washington. Yeah, it comes to Washington. I mean, what a day. Biden board builds the wall, expels a second dog, and Donald Trump's (laughs) coming to the candidate forum for the House Speaker contest. Um, I think this is just the new reality in Washington um, after Kevin McCarthy was ousted. Um, you know, a lot of people are talking about Trump for speaker. Um, he is probably going to have his name placed in nomination. I expect that he may actually come in and tell the conference it's time to knock it off. It's time to <coughs> unite, time to get together. I expect to be president and I need a unified House majority right. behind me. So that's Trump coming to Washington likely probably next week. Uh, then there's also this Headline today, the other side of the aisle. Biden's dog, Commander, no longer at the White House 
after biting incidents. Scott, when it rains, it pours. I know you don't want to talk about the border and what happened. We are going to get there. You talk to my but, Republican colleagues about very substantive political issues. But look, you hey, turn to me and well, say, I want to talk to you about the dog. So the dog, the dog apparently bit like a dozen people, and now it's out of the White House. But there's a report from Axios that said that uh, that basically White House staff was warning the first lady's office. You could get sued because of this. If this is what. The Democrats, the only dividing point for the Democrats in Washington. Oh, God it's bless not. Them. We're going to talk We're about that. We're having a for the Republicans. Let me say this. I grew up with shepherds. Uh, I've got a Connie Corso right now. These are very protective dogs. They are not high strung, but if you get close to someone or family member that they see as their, their protective source, if you will, you can get this. They have to be very well trained. And I'm not surprised. And the exposure for getting bit by a dog, whether you're in your community or at the White House is the same. By the way, I learned a little bit about presidential pets today. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt had a badger named Josiah. Uh, President Taft had a cow at the White House. Woodrow Wilson had sheep that grazed on the front lawn, and Calvin Calvin Coolidge had Rebecca the raccoon. Uh, There you go. Did the raccoon not bite people, too? I I, I hope not. It's It's a a sign of the times in Washington. These days, you can't even have a dog as a friend. Well, (laughs) and and does the president have the head of the Department of Homeland Security as a friend, too? Let's talk about that. Uh, Because the White House has a much bigger explanation on its hands right now. A wall being built on the southern border. Something that President Biden promised would not happen under his watch. Trump campaigned on um, build that wall. Are you willing to tear that wall down? No, there will not be another foot of wall constructed on my administration. That was then. But now the Biden administration has waived 26 federal laws in the state of Texas to allow for new wall construction. Now, the White House says it had no choice. They say no choice but to build the new wall because the money for it was doled out during the Trump administration. However, the head of the Department of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, says he had to act for a much different reason, writing, quote, as of early August 2023, Border Patrol had encountered 245,000 such entrants attempting to enter the United States between ports of entry in the Rio Grande Valley sector in fiscal year 2023. Therefore, I must use my authority to install additional physical barriers and roads in the Rio Grande Valley sector. Now, the press secretary today did not have an answer when asked about Mayorkas' statement. Watch. I have not seen that full that full statement. I know. I I, I, I hear you. I'm just saying I've not seen that full his full statement uh, on that. Didn't see the statement. Biggest news of the day. The president, though, maintained he is against a border wall. Do you believe the border wall works? No. Brad, something doesn't add up here. You got the Biden administration saying, we had to do this. You have the head of the part because of, you know, we, we had the money. We have to do it. And you got the DHS head, his chosen DHS head saying, we've got a problem at the southern border. We need wall." Yeah, it's certainly put up in a little bit of a pickle here. A little bit? (laughs) So, you know, I think, look, as I've said many times in the show, that the the crisis at the southern border is continuing to be a political problem for this White House. They don't, they're putting together resources and manpower down there, and they're apparently now going to start building physical barriers. But, you know, this is a political problem. It's a national security problem, and they need a better message than what they're doing right here. Hoping no one notices doesn't seem to have worked. But at least they are committing resources to the border, and I think okay. it should applaud so, the effort. So 
the White House is saying we had to spend the money. So we spent the money, even though the president says, I didn't want to spend the money on this. Do they have to spend the money? For the most part, yes. What Congress appropriates and says you, you do, you have to spend it that way. Now, built into certain appropriations or transfer authorities, I don't know the full context of the law they're referencing here. Maybe there was the ability to transfer. Maybe there wasn't. But, you know, when Congress says to do something, you have to do it. Well, you say no, though. I, I, look, I, I, this is the party that gave us sanctuary cities. This is the party that told us that inflation was transitory. And now the excuse is the law made me do it. So the, the, Biden has broken one of his central campaign pledges. I am not going to build one more foot of wall. And then today, his DHS secretary put out a notice saying, we have an emergency at the border. There's nothing else for us to do. We need to build an additional 20 miles of wall. Can I, can I put some legal perspective? Yep, give it to me. Because and we're going to go to Kelly. Uh, I think they all uh, can be correct, not necessarily inconsistent. When you waive 26 federal laws, right, on the books, you have to make a compelling case. And the Mayorgas was making the compelling case that while the wall may not be the panacea, it is one of many things in the toolbox. But his compelling case is the president's view on the, on the wall is wrong. Well, no, he says that this is, this is, they need the, they need the wall. And the president says you don't. The president says that the wall is not a panacea. Now, it may be one of many things in the toolbox that he doesn't believe that's going to solve the immigration issue. But at the same time, they've got to spend the money, which is why the press secretary and my August could be right, not necessarily inconsistent. But my you've got to make a compelling case to waive those 26 federal laws. My August just testified before Congress and told us that the southern border was secure. No problem. Well, despite everything like that was happening down Democrat, at the border with the border Democratic panel, mayors and governors it wasn't until. The immigrants were being shipped to New York City, to New York to Mark City, Island, and to Illinois, and, to, and all yeah, that. Yeah, to all of right, the blue all states all the and, and okay, Maryland, where they started complaining. Fine. It's an American problem. It's not a political problem. Maybe this triggers Republicans and Democrats fixing it, because no administration has fixed it in the last 25 to 35 years. All right, let's go now over to the White House, where a lot of this played out today. News Nation Washington correspondent Kelly Meyer was inside the briefing room. Uh, Kelly, take us inside that room today when the White House was being pelted with questions. What was it like? Yeah, and that's the, the right way to put it. I mean, they got question after question on this because it just wasn't really getting answered, at least for the reporters in the room. We try to ask it every which way as to why they're doing this now. Uh, you know, as you said, Karine Jean-Pierre kept going back to that this was done in June. This had to be done. There was this deadline that they had to meet. But reporters kept pressing on why they did this and why the they contradicted, uh, as you said, Secretary Mayorkas, who says this was needed. Uh, she just kept coming back to the same answer. And you could hear kind of some grunts or moans from other reporters that she just kept going back to that same answer over and over again and not really giving uh, the message here and then contradicting the message from other parts of the administration. So a lot of confusion in there today, Blake. Yeah. A lot of confusion. All right. Uh, Kelly Meyer, live for us on the uh, White House North Lawn. Kelly, thank you. Appreciate it. Joining us now to dive further into this, the Democratic congressman from California, Luke Correa. He is a member of the Homeland Security Committee. Congressman, uh, thank you for being here on the Hill. Appreciate the time as always. So we we heard from the White House today. Thank they basically said me. they. Yeah, of course. They basically said they had to do this. Hands tied. We got the money. We had to do it. Um, is that the case? Look, this is a worldwide refugee crisis. We've been seeing this coming for a long time. Trump had the problem, but COVID made it much, much worse. We've got thousands of people coming through the Darien Gap. We're not focusing on short-term solutions or long-term solutions. This is a crisis that continues to get out of control. 
my my who's, solution who's, working on this issue. Go ahead. Oh no, so, uh, sorry, my clearly solution. a little bit of a delay. Yeah, no, give me your solution. Go for it, because that's that's the, the central question. My solution: that we need more personnel to manage the border. But long term, we need to create jobs where people are fleeing. Instead of doing that, this administration is putting tariffs tariffs on goods from those areas where we should be creating jobs. So I think Congress has to put partnership aside and make sure we focus on the fundamental reasons why people are leaving their countries. So President Biden says um, we don't need a wall. He doesn't believe in it. Alejandro Mayorkas, the DHS secretary, says we need a wall at that spot. Who's right, the president or the secretary? Look, Clinton started building the wall. You want to call it a wall or a barrier? Every administration since has been building a wall, a barrier. San Isidro, you don't have one, not two. Areas, we have three walls, three barriers, and people still coming across. <coughs> when you have hungry people, people are going to figure out a way to feed their families. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. And, you. and you say that there's history here. So why is President Biden taking the stance that, that we don't need it? I mean, you, you just laid out the case that Look, other presidents have done this. Why is he the outlier? I would argue that the walls don't work. Barriers don't work. Focus on the okay. fundamental reasons why people are leaving their countries. And we haven't done that. You know, why do we put tariffs on goods from Guatemala, from other Latin American countries? Help create jobs so people don't have to go north. You know, 80% of the women, by the time they get to the border, these refugees, 80% are either raped or sexually assaulted. <clears throat> That's a big risk they take going north. Let's help them stay home. You know, um, Donald Trump, uh, you mentioned him, of course, and, and he's at the center of this. He, he put out a social media post today and he said, uh, well, the president apologized. I will await his apology. Is Donald Trump owed an apology here? I have no idea what that's about. All I know is after COVID, this situation got worse. And what we have to do is focus on the challenge of refugees. Mr. Trump, I don't know what you're talking about. President Biden, I have no idea what you're taking, thinking about. My concern is this country, security of this country, to make sure we control what's going on south of the border and make sure we do it for the benefit of all American taxpayers, sir. Congressman Lucrea, uh, appreciate the time. As always, hope you come on back. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, an, an issue that we were, were talking about uh, before we went to the congressman and to Kelly, and, and I wanted to ask him, but we ran out of time. It seems as if this decision was made and, the, and, and all of this came into the forefront when the governor's care from New York and Illinois basically said, help. Yeah, when you're losing the Democrats, that's a problem. And Kathy Hochul, yeah, like you said, um, she she was saying, hey, this is a problem as well. Um, where I think the di disconnect is between Biden and Mayorkas, what's Mayorkas' title, right? He's the, the head of the Department of oh, Homeland God. Security. So when you have 145 suspected terrorists this year, an all-time record, cross the border, Mayorkas has to act. He has to move, right? His whole job is to secure the homeland. That is not securing the homeland. That is not securing the homeland. We don't have terrorists. I'll say the, the southern border. Democrats' position generally is that 
this issue is much bigger than a wall. Right. Right. We, a wall is not going to solve it. You can build a wall from point to point A to point B. It's not going to solve the crisis. To Mr. Correa's point, who I think is doing great work in this area, this is a holistic problem. We've got to figure out why folks are coming and risking life and limb to get to the U.S. and go down there and, and re- renegotiate trade deals and create programs and take on the drug cartel that makes their lives better because okay, no so, wall is going to stop so migration. So hold, hold that thought for a second. Joining us now is the uh, Republican congresswoman from New York. Nicole Maliotakis. She represents Staten Island and parts of Brooklyn. Congresswoman, thank you for joining us here on the Hill. So you heard some of of that there. Um, The wall is some, but not all of the solution. But this is clearly a a big moment, right? And a a big move and decision from the administration. Does this move the needle at all, in your view? Yeah, think about the billions of dollars that were wasted because President Biden stopped the border construction and then he was selling the materials as scrap for pennies on the dollar. Uh, So this is a turnaround. Um, And what I will say, I think it's just the beginning. We need to undo the executive orders that he put in place that dismantled our border, that kept it open, that allowed for millions of individuals, uh, allowed for the drug traffickers and cartels to take advantage of the situation, to poison Americans with fentanyl. Um, we need to secure the border. He can do it if he just undoes his executive orders. And so if we can go back to the Remain in Mexico policy that was working, if we can go back to ending the catch and release, restore Title 42, those are some of the things. And then, we, yes, we should be working on immigration as well. We should be looking at increasing the number of visas so people can come legally, so employers can get employees, so family members can sponsor their loved ones. We need to know who is coming in and out of our country. That's the bottom line. Uh, and the only way you we're going to do that is if we make these necessary changes. Congresswoman, there's a, there's a lot in your part, a lot of folks in your party, a lot of your colleagues who have talked about the idea of maybe the DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas should be impeached. Um, he's, he, if, if you read what he wrote, he's going against the White House here. He's going against what President Biden said today. Do you commend him for what he did? Look, I think Mayorkas has been an absolute disaster, okay? Um, and, and he's saying basically that the law is requiring them to do this. I mean, they've ignored the law. That's the problem. Uh, I don't think uh, Alexandra Mayorkas should stay there. I think he's abdicated his responsibility. Uh, look, I'm a New Yorker, and in post-9-11 world, we need to know who is coming in and out of our country. The fact that there were 250 people on the terror watch list caught at the southern border and that we have 1.7 million gotaways, which means that they snuck in. They had no interaction with our government, no interaction with Customs and Border Patrol agents. That's the estimate that CBP gives us, though. 1.7 million people. We don't know who they are, what their intentions are, uh, and that is a problem. I'm very concerned about that. You know, the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, went to Mexico and basically said, we're out of room uh, here in the city of New York. Do you commend him for, for going to Mexico and, and, and bringing that message there? What, what needs to happen for New York? Well, well, here, just like President Biden, we're seeing like a 180 now because the mayor was incentivizing people to come to New York <coughs> City. He welcomed them with open arms. He had literally the deputy mayor at the Port Authority terminal welcoming people off the bus. He get, offered free housing, free health care, free services. Uh, of course people were going to come to New York City. It has completely gotten out of control uh, because the mayor insists that they were entitled to 
uh, housing at the expense of our taxpayers. Uh, what, I, what I would say is that the mayor should actually go talk to Senator Schumer, okay, because we passed the Border Security Act that would end this crisis today, and Senator Schumer has it sitting on his desk, refuses to allow a vote to take place in the Senate. He needs to talk to the Senate senator from his own city uh, and, and convince him to take up some border security measures. And if you don't like our bill, pass your own bill. Pass your own bill, Chuck Schumer, and let's reconcile the differences, but let's resolve this problem. Congresswoman Ali Atakis, uh, got to leave it there. Thank you very much. It was a, a pretty remarkable news uh, out of the White House and a pretty remarkable briefing today. Uh, appreciate the time. Thank you. Great to be with you. Thank you. Yep. Um, you know, I, I've, I was going to ask her, um, it was interesting to me that Mexico, the, the president of Mexico, Scott, rejected this new border wall plan. What does it say when we know we have a problem and the president of Mexico says no wall? Uh, because the wall sounds uh, nice and, and powerful and effective. But in the whole scheme of things, the wall isn't going to stop people from coming from economic uh, depravity. It's not going to stop them from running from gangs and, and lack of opportunity. And so you've got to have this continuum approach to solve this issue. And so when the Democrats say no wall, because the wall doesn't answer the total question. Now, they should put forth a bill if they haven't put forth a bill. Uh, the congresswoman is right. We should uh, join these two bills and figure out what's best for the country. But politically, I think the Democrats and the Republicans, deep down politically, just in the political space, don't want to solve this issue. Because they could solve the issue if they were intentional and used all of their efforts to do that as opposed to using their efforts Bill, in the House. Bill, shaking, Bill shaking his head. Well, and he and I got to I, I gotta, I gotta run, but I would say if coming together. That's why I want to keep talking. Today, today, <laughs> today, today you might say maybe the White House and, the, and DHS need to come together because I'll, I'll end with where we started. Clearly there's, there's some sort of divide there between the two. All right, coming up, Donald Trump to the rescue. Maybe just maybe. Turns out he will descend upon Washington as Republicans try to figure out their mess up on Capitol Hill. So what might that look like? And what is the very latest inside the Capitol? What's, what's the buzz inside that building? We've got a little bit of a sense and we'll take you to the halls of the Capitol coming up when The Hill on News Nation returns. All right, welcome back to The Hill. Uh, we want to go out to Capitol Hill now where the race to replace Kevin McCarthy as the Speaker of the House is underway. So sort of what's, what are the whispers that are happening uh, inside the halls of the Capitol? Michael Schnell is a congressional reporter for The Hill. She joins us now. Hello, Michael. Uh, so what are you hearing in the halls there? Blake. Yeah, Blake, look, the main thing that we're hearing right now are two names, Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise. Those are, of course, the two Republican lawmakers who are currently running to be the next Speaker of the House following Kevin McCarthy's really shocking ouster earlier this week. Um, both candidates have been talking to different lawmakers and groups within the Republican conference trying to pick up as much support as they can. Unity appears to be the main message here. Both candidates saying that they are the ones who can unite the conference after that blistering fight on the House floor earlier this mm -hmm. week on that motion to vacate. Of course, this all comes ahead of next week's candidate forum on Tuesday and the expectation that the conference will vote on a nominee on Wednesday. All right. So when you're talking to Republicans up there, Michael, are you getting the sense from them that this will all be wrapped up at, at some, let's go broad at some point next week? 
Uh, no, Blake. It's honestly quite the opposite. I spoke to Congressman hmm. Garrett Graves yesterday. He's, of course, a close ally of Kevin McCarthy. And I asked him that very question. I said, are you confident that this can all be wrapped up by next Tuesday and Wednesday so we can avoid that 15-ballot race like we saw in September? <coughs> he gave me the response, quote, hell no. He said it's a real possibility that we can see Patrick McHenry, the current uh, speaker pro tempore, uh, continue to be speaker for a few weeks to come. I also asked that same question to Warren Davidson this week, saying, is it possible we could see this wrapped up by next week? He said that would require some, quote, divine intervention. So the, the, the possibility that this can be wrapped up by next week. Lawmakers don't think it's a good possibility. This is Capitol Hill. You never know what could happen. But that's where expectations are at the moment. You never know. Mixed with divine intervention. All right, we'll leave it there. Michael Schnell, live up uh, on Capitol Hill. Michael, thank you. All right, so we have a headline here that just popped. Um, because we mentioned, start at the top of the show, that Donald Trump is expected to be at the House Republican Conference on Tuesday. And he has told Fox News that he would accept the speakership if it was offered to him for a quote-unquote short period. Kara? Yeah, I mean, like I said before, it's really interesting. But I think when it comes to this, Republicans, they have to unite, right? We need sort of a Lincoln second inaugural malice toward none thing here going on. So, you know, if Trump can do that even briefly, okay, you know, I'll I'll consider it as an analyst that, that it's a good thing. But we need a fighter. I think that's it. We need a fighter. Americans, are they realize we're at an inflection point. If he can be that fighter, maybe it's a good thing for a time. Okay, so, I don't know. So, Bill, as the former uh, Trump White House cabinet secretary, what does Donald Trump consider a short period? <laughs> hundred days. Hundred. If, if I would okay. say, if I would no, say, it'd I'm serious. Be about like, what, days. Is, what is short? Is short three days, three weeks, three no, months? No, I think it'd be about a, a little over three months. You think? So? I think. I think if he were to do it, it would be about a hundred days because they would want to do it for the budget, uh, this you know all of the appropriations. Plus, he would really bring to the floor uh, the border wall and all of the the border issues that he. Really do you think cares. he wants this? I think it's a it's a welcome uh, distraction from New York uh, <laughs> where the civil trial and other things are going on. And I don't mean that in jest. Um, but I think, you know, in order for Donald Trump to be offered this position, that means 218 members yeah, so of a 222 uh, conference have to make that offer to him. And so I don't think the conference do you do is that when right shut the shut the government down over these issues that have caused this vacancy. Oh, but that is so that's but, that's but, 40 days down the line. Like, I think we're a ways. We're, we're missing some key, <laughs> some key facts days. here. Yeah, so, so uh, number one, House Republican conference rules say you cannot held a leadership position if you've been federally indicted. So right. I don't know how they get around that. But there's a witch hunt exception. Uh, they, yes, <laughs> I mean, obviously. And then secondly, I don't I think this is what Republicans had in mind when they were wishing for divine intervention. Right. Here, here's, here's a headline from the National Review uh, from just the other day, and I wonder if you if, if y'all think it's spot on. The GOP is leaderless, and that's exactly how Trump wants it. Kara? Is that, is that right? I mean, the National Review, sort of notwithstanding, I, 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 I think that. I They're think, not fans, uh, translation. Trump is, as I've said before on the show, he's the leader of a movement. And now you're seeing, you know, a blockbuster report from Newsweek coming out saying the, the eight federal agencies are weaponized against Trump supporters. They're calling them purveyors of anti-government and anti-authority ideologies. Uh, you know, I've been in the counterterrorism space for years. Uh, that is not 
not a good harbinger of things to come. So if people are going to rally behind him, the, the more he gets indicted, the more he goes to court. If those donations are going up and he's seen as sort of a martyr figure, um, you know, I, I think we're, we're going to continue to see uh, people coalesce behind him the more that he is targeted and the more that his supporters are targeted. You know, she raises a good point because some of the problems with Scalise's candidacy is that his, there's concerns that his health will not allow him to travel the country and raise money, and that Jim Jordan, you know, doesn't have this the kind of power to bring together a, a, a caucus. Trump does check a lot of those boxes. I mean, I'm not advocating for a speaker Trump here, but he can unite the caucus. He can raise money for them. And maybe he can get them through this tumultuous time. You know, we will see. But at the end of the day, this is a legislative position. You have to build coalitions. That's not something Donald Trump is known to do. And in in a battle between Donald Trump and Chuck Schumer and the White House, I think we're in for a lot of gridlock and a lot of uncertainty in the months to come if that happens. But Desi, what does he do about solving the schism between the eight hardliners and the moderates on the Republican side? And what do you do about it only takes one person to remove the speaker or to file a motion for the speaker? I'm not sure any Republican in the House GOP he's, should it, want that he's position. Got, he's got the eight. The question is, you right. know, like Chris But Tyrell the motion to vacate is not limited to the majority party. The Correct. Democrat could file it. Yep. So if the Democrats wanted to mess with the Trump speakership, they'd file one every day. Unless the Republicans got behind the rules change. Stuff, and they could fix this. Right. Stuff going on yeah. here in Washington. All right, coming up. <laughs> Have you heard what they might do in England regarding cigarettes? The prime minister is backing a potential major overhaul. So what is it? And would something like it ever happen here? We'll get into it coming up after the break. All right, so what do you think about this idea? Banning cigarettes. It's actually the idea that is now being backed by the British Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak. Now, the possibility would only apply to those in England who are born after 2008. So 14 years old or younger, 14, 15, 16, et cetera, you're, you're fine. But anyone 14 or younger, that's where it would kick in. He says it would create Britain's, Britain's first modern free smoke generation. So this is being endorsed by one of the biggest politicians on the planet. Yeah. Got me thinking, would something like this, would, it, would a politician of that level or a political party at, here in the U.S. sort of ever move in that direction? If you value the health and safety of young people and the overall health and safety and the medical costs that come from smoking, then I think, yes, remember, he's not banning, the Prime Minister of Britain is not banning the product, which would be much harder even in Britain. What he's saying is he's going to raise the age limit for those who are able to use that product, and he's basically starving the demand yeah, over the period of time. And I can see that happening in the U.S., compelling state interests, the health and safety reasons, not attacking the, the product so that the lobbyists could well, get Well, that's where I was going, that. lobbying. Well, I don't know, I mean, lobbyists aside, but I'll right. say there's one thing, I don't, you know, I'm not a Gen Z, I'm not a post-millennial, but if there's one thing I know they love, it's being told what they can and cannot do by Gen <laughs> X. So, <laughs> right. what, what I'd be skeptical. I mean, we're not even prosecuting, you know, violent offenders now. So we're going to ban cigarettes and what then go after and, and start prosecuting some of the people who would do it. Every time we try this nanny state stuff, it just drives up the black market. So, so here, here's but why. Not, that wouldn't be the approach. The approach would be you have to be old enough to 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 uh, to buy those cigarettes. And at some point in time, you cut off the demand by saying anyone over 14. Here's why they're that. doing it. They say there's 64,000 deaths per year in that area. And it would save basically $21 billion uh, a year. 
to, to the health system. They say there's a, a public, you know, public health cost on, on several different levels with this. I, I agree with the health benefits. I agree with the health savings. I'm just, you know, the American spirit does not like the government to tell us what the can and can't do. And what's that? And I just think I just don't see it working that, here. That's the American spirit, at least when it comes to cigarettes and stuff. I mean, listen, at some point in time, we've got to have a compelling interest for health and safety. The syntax won't work. People can do they, their free will is more powerful than anything. But at the same time, it costs us twenty billion dollars a year, at least in Britain, it does for to engage in this sinful conduct. Quote sinful conduct, and something's got to give. I could see raising the age limit and attacking the demand working in the U.S. Depending on who's in the House, of course, the Senate and the White House. I don't know. I, I lived in the U.K. for two years uh, for grad school right after college, and and I do. Where haven't you been? Peripatetic ways, <laughs> but when it when it comes to you know the nanny state, as Bill so aptly appropriately described, British, they're they're used to this much more more than we are. Especially look at their draconian free speech laws. Uh, Prince Harry famously questioned the validity of the the First Amendment. You know, free speech. What well, you know? What is that kind of? When he came to America, which we were all kind of scratching our heads. Hey, it's different here. Can you blame um, the so, kid though? Fair, <laughs> fair, <laughs> fair, fair. Family? Yeah. Fair. But, but there there are different constitution over there. So I, I do think there. You know, despite COVID and, and some of those measures that were much more authoritarian than we Americans were used to, I, I do think there is a different appetite for that kind of thing among our populace versus what right. goes on in the. Well, on the other side of the spectrum, speaking the other side, uh, there's Ozempic, and it might be changing the way that people buy food. Walmart's CEO, did you see this? Doug McMillan. He said in an interview that his company has found out that those who take Ozempic and Wagovi are buying less food. He said this, quote, we definitely do see a slight change compared to the total population. We do see a slight pullback in overall basket. Uh, this, I think, is a pretty big deal for these companies, pretty big deal for consumers, too. Well, is he bragging or complaining? I'm on Manjaro, one of those similar drugs. I've lost 35 pounds, and I do shop and eat differently because it makes you less hungry, and it'll, I think it also makes you want to eat healthier versus fried foods and what have you. So he, here's, here's the thing about Ozempic, Wagovi, and then similar... Manjaro. Yep, okay. Um, <laughs> You know, it's being billed as this wonder drug, right? And maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. You're not doctors. And clearly we'll see. But we had this epidemic of OxyContin in this country, right? And it was being handed out left and right. And it became a huge problem. And I just sit back and I... Still is. Right. Correct. It still is. And I just wonder if we're at the beginning of this thing and it's just sort of being being handed out or being consumed as, as this next great thing. Like, might we be getting ourselves into something? I don't know. I mean, it's certainly something to consider. I think, you know, so far, all the, all the studies have shown that these, these are working, and you can see it in the dollars and cents. And I think, you know, fundamentally, Americans have to change how we, we eat and how we, we live and our daily lives and how much we eat because it is, it is a problem. I mean, diabetes is becoming one of the major killers in the U.S. And so, you know, I, I, I'm glad to see there's some change happening across the country. But, you know, you, I think we've got to be cautious with these new drugs. You're absolutely right. I, I think this is more a function of Bidenomics and inflation. cost more. I think it's just simple math. I do agree with you, though, that we've got so many drugs out there that are yeah. new and we don't understand what the long term health implications are for them. Well, there are some um, and I think as the population ages that's been on these drugs, I think we're going to learn more about this. But I think the short term 
um, the basket getting a little bit lighter, I do think you can't discount the impact that inflation has on the family budgets. Well, the doctor's the orders on this, there are limitations. You can you, you have to take it within at least Manjaro four to six months, and then you've got to get off of it because okay. it can have some impact on pancreatitis uh, and, and long-term impact. By the so way, by, do it forever. by 2035, it's expected that 7% of the U.S. population, about 24 million people, uh, will be on an appetite suppression drug. Just something to consider. Yeah. Well, maybe this, is, maybe this is a, a crisis that President Taylor Swift can solve. <laughs> that, <laughs> we'll see. Or, or Trump. That sure is where Trump we're going because it. she has taken Trump over this world of pop music. Beautiful solution. She is the talk right now of the NFL. So uh, politics for Taylor Swift. Is that next? Why some are talking about the love story singer and her political future. There, there, there might be something here. We'll get into it on the other side. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, welcome back here to the Hill. An ex aide for Donald Trump says that there is only one person who could defeat the former president, Taylor Swift. Speaking on the podcast behind the table, Alyssa Farah Griffin, formerly the uh, head of the communications director, she discussed Swift's massive popularity. Watch. This ends in one way. We are all Taylor Swift fans. And to be honest, um, you know, if if Donald Trump looks like he's going to win, she's just going to need to get in the race and defeat him once and for all because she's probably the only person who can. There you go. I don't know. You're buying it, Kara? Uh, no. Why are you looking at me? Because I'm the only girl here. <laughs> no, no, no. no. no I, I am a Swifty. I, I hate to admit it. Um, are you? Yeah. I, I like her music. Um, I think she Nothing is slightly annoying when she doesn't sing. Um, <laughs> but, Politically but, or personally? And, and here's the thing. I mean, you have so many articles about how her, her recent global tour is a, a driver of the economy. Like, yeah. she's actually impacting the, the GDP. So I, I think that she is a singular force right now. Uh, but I really want to get back to people who are competent at governing running for office, not just people with name recognition. Uh, <laughs> you've probably seen uh, The Rock uh, is thinking about a potential run. You've seen reports about um, Meghan Markle sort of being up for some of these positions uh, politically. But I, I think we, we need to have good governors, so, not just famous people. So here's, name here's, here's what I would say. Um, you, you brought up, obviously, she's an economic force. Could she be a political force? I remember exactly where I was on June 16th, 2015. Does that date ring a bell? The escalator. Trump it down. Somebody walked down an escalator right in front of me, and I was going live next to, like, Access Hollywood and Inside Edition, right? <laughs> it wasn't all of the networks. Yeah. And at the time, it was a entertainment store. And fast forward, here we are. So, I don't know. Well, at, at a minimum, I do think that between Taylor Swift and Beyonce, the women that are helping drive this economic recovery, uh, maybe it's part of the Binomics. It's a secret Binomics plan to keep the economy going strong. You know, it also with demonstrates the, the weakness of Joe Biden, that they're actually looking outside the political class trying to find a celebrity. <laughs> well, to be clear, that, that, was that, was was that was a Republican. That was a Republican. That was a Republican. I don't know. I mean, I, I used to work, you know, she was in the comp shop, so I know her. But The short issue 
you on the constitutional short flaw is that you got to get elected. And it's turned into a popularity contest, not whether you can govern. Intellectual voters like us will say, well, can he or she govern? But from a popularity standpoint, most voters aren't as informed as we are. Okay. So what they'll do is they'll, you got to get elected to be a great governor. So set, set running aside, um, she influenced a voter registration drive at 35,000 people sign up in one day. I think it was like a, a 2X phenomenon of what they're used to. So if she gets behind a person or a cause, I don't think it's out of the question that she she might have some influence. The other side of that is she went after Marsha Blackburn in Tennessee, and that didn't work her way. Right. No, I mean, I think, like, yeah, I mean, part of Taylor Swift's appeal is that she's genuine in her belief and that people think that she is, you know, doing the right things and, and, and in line with her beliefs and wants to do right by the American people. And I think that sentiment needs to translate down to other candidates because the young people are fired up. The young people want to get engaged. They want to see change. But we have two octogenarians or close to being that as the two frontrunners. Uh, for both party nominations. So I think young people are excited and motivated and Taylor Swift, I think, is capturing that energy at the moment. All right, let's bring in Elizabeth Vargas. Uh, Elizabeth Vargas reports starts about eight, nine minutes from now. What do you make of, of, of all of this? I mean, she's been front and center in the news for a lot of reasons, but, uh, you know, it's, it's not crazy to talk about a celebrity and their impact on politics. No, not their impact on politics, but come on, nobody's seriously talking about her running for president. That was just Alyssa Farah having fun on a podcast, you guys. Um, but listen, she has driven voter registration to 350,000 yeah. people now total registered. She's yeah. a phenomenon, um, unlike any we've seen in a very, very long time. We just saw, I mean, the ratings for teenage girls for Sunday Night Football went up 53%. Because she was in the stands yeah. to cheer on her boyfriend. She has huge clout right now, and I hope she uses it for good. Um, anything to drive engagement from our, our, you know, our younger adults in this country to start paying attention to politics and getting involved in politics and going and voting on, on, on election day would be a fantastic thing. But I yeah, don't think yeah, anybody's yeah. serious. I don't think she's, I mean, she's great. I'm also, I wouldn't call myself a Swifty. I think she's got some great <laughs> talent, though. Oh, come on, Elizabeth. You're not a Swifty. I will, I will confess, had I the opportunity to go see her in concert recently, I would have taken it, for sure. Okay, um, there yeah. you go. I think she's incredibly right. talented. Incredibly she talented. Is, she is indeed, absolutely. Yeah. All right, what you got coming up here shortly? We're going to talk all about the about face in the Biden administration on the border with this border wall. Yeah. We're going to talk with uh, former President Trump's director of Immigration and Customs Enforcement, as well as with the Arab, uh, mayor of El Paso, who's on the front lines of this migrant crisis. It is huge, this new viral video that you've seen everywhere, hundreds of migrants running across the border in El Paso, some of them with children in their arms. It's chaotic. We have, you know, governors and, and mayors across the country trying to take matters into their own hands. We're going to weigh into all of that and much more coming up in just a few minutes. All right. We'll see you in about six minutes time. Elizabeth, okay. thank you. And you can watch Elizabeth Vargas reports at six o'clock right here on News Nation. Well, before we go, bipartisanship up on Capitol Hill. Something is finally bringing lawmakers and, and aides up there on the hill together. And all it takes is costumes and pets. It's on the other side of the break. Heading east and west, day and night. Truck drivers are the unseen heroes that keep our country running. Morning in America is dedicating a full week to the men and women behind the wheel. All this week, 6-5 Central on Morning in America. All right, so before we say goodbye, here is a story that caught our eye. Congress, a mess, as you know. 
But they're still willing to party with their animals. Here's the invite. Uh, the North Carolina Senator Tom Tillis is hosting what he's calling a bipartisan dog parade on Halloween. <laughs> you get the idea there. Uh, he started this in 2017 for lawmakers and staffers to dress their pups up. You see the video there. Brad, you were.